Amen. Matthew chapter 11, let's look at verses 20 through 24. It says, Then he, Jesus, began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. They did not turn to him. He said, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it would be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which had been done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in that in the day of judgment than for you. So Jesus begins with a rebuke and a warning to the cities where he had been going and teaching. We saw last week that Jesus had received a few of John the Baptist's uh, disciples to himself. And these disciples came asking Jesus on behalf of John, Are you the Christ? Are you the one who was promised to us? Or should we be looking for another? John was in prison. John was discouraged at his present circumstances. And he was a bit overwhelmed. And in those circumstances, he began to question God. He began to question Jesus. And guys, it's so easy for us to be overwhelmed, especially in our current circumstances, for us to be overwhelmed um, in our hearts and in our minds. And this overwhelming can lead us to a place, if we're not careful, where fear will, will trump our faith. And so we have to make sure that we're keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus during that time. Notice that it says that he went to these cities, uh, Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum. Well, what was he doing? He was there to uh, preach the gospel. He was there to teach them and to reveal the nature of the kingdom of God. But he was also doing mighty works before them. He was casting out demons. He was healing people. He was doing great and mighty works to show them that he truly was the Messiah, the promised anointed one from God. But listen, I want to say to you, just as these cities, we've got to be careful that we don't reject what we know to be true. These guys were rejecting Jesus. They did not believe his words. They did not take what he was doing and they did not apply it to their lives and they found themselves being rebuked by Jesus. And he said, listen, it would be better for these cities who we know are going to be condemned. It's going to be better for them than it will be for you in, the, in these last days at the time of judgment. Why? Because these guys were waiting for the expectation of the Messiah and um, Chorazin, Bethsaida, um, and uh, Capernaum, they were witnesses to the Messiah being there. You and I are witnesses. The greatest hope that we have today is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Yes, we know that he died for the sins of the world. 
His blood that was shed is the propitiation. It's the substitutionary atonement for our sins. It's, it's we are saved by God's grace through this faith in what he has done. But listen, we are, we are also witnesses to his resurrection. We're witnesses because, listen, the witnesses that, that, that saw Jesus physically gave us an account of these things. And this account has been going on from the time of the resurrection. And this message has not changed. The message hasn't changed. Jesus is still risen from the dead. He is still alive. He is still ruling and reigning over all things. And so he gave them a warning. In Luke chapter 12, verse 35, listen, Jesus gave also another warning. He said, let your waist be girded. In other words, be ready. And your lamps burning. And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master. When he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, may open that they may open to him immediately. He says, blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and he will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would have come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. The warning that Chorazin, the warning that Bethsaida and Capernaum, the warning they were given was a reflection of their current state at the first coming of Jesus Christ. And we are given a similar warning. That we are to be ready. Why? Because Jesus promised that he is going to come again. Yes, the first time that Jesus came, he came as the suffering servant. Revealing the nature of God. Providing the the atonement for our sin. The hope over sin and of death through the resurrection. And we know now, listen, he is coming again. And so he is telling us here, we must also be ready You see, the thing about these cities is they were given the signs and the seasons to watch out for, to know that Jesus was on his way. And when he got there, it should have been no surprise to them. And he said, also know the seasons and the times because I will come again. Listen, church, are you paying attention to the seasons? Are you paying attention to the times? There will be wars and rumors of wars, pestilence, earthquakes, lightnings, all of these things. He says, pay attention because when you see these things, these will be like birth pangs. And yet what? He says, look up for the day of your redemption. The day that he is coming, it draws near. Are you ready? We have to be ready. We have to be vigilant to make sure that we are ready for when the master comes, will he find us waiting for him? And when he comes, will we be ready to open immediately unto him? 
Church, let's be a people who are ready. Verse 25, at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so now we're going to see that Jesus is going to reveal to the people who are there in front of him that all these things have been hidden but in plain sight. As Jesus begins to pray, we see Jesus, he thanks the Father and he exalts the Father um, for his sovereignty over all heaven and earth. And I want to remind us all, I want to remind us that we must never lose a heart of thankfulness towards God under any circumstance. He is the Lord. He is master. He is our leader. And he's over us and over all of heaven and all of, over all of earth. What can separate us from the love of God? There's nothing. What weapon forged against us will prosper. There's nothing. Jesus said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And notice that he speaks how the Father has hidden himself from those, listen, who are wise and who are prudent, from those who are proud and who are the intellectual. We got to remember, listen, in James chapter four, verse six, he says, but he, God, gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but what? He gives grace to the humble. To those who have no need for God, who believe that that they've got it figured out, that science is the answer over Jesus. They forget that Jesus created science. They forget that he is Lord over all. And science, as much as they try to disprove, as much as intellectuals would like to try to disprove, If the Bible isn't true, the more they try, the more they prove that it's actually absolutely true. So who has Jesus revealed himself to? To babes? Does he mean babies, children? No, listen, he's revealed himself to those who have a childlike faith, who are willing to not just believe in God, but they're willing to believe him. They're willing to take him for who he is at face value. To believe the words that he's speaking because he's God. Listen, there's no other way for you and I to receive Jesus. Listen, in Matthew 18, 3, Jesus said this, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children. He didn't say to become little children. He said to become as little children. You will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Therefore, listen, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Paul said in Colossians 2, 6, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord. How do we receive him, guys? There's only one way. We received him by faith. So walk in him, walk in faith, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it, abounding in this faith with thanksgiving. He says this, he gives a warning. He said, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy, through man's understanding of things, and empty deceit, empty promises that aren't true, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, in Jesus All the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwells, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Guys, each one of us has been given an opportunity to know Jesus. He's revealed himself to every single one of us. You might say, well, I'm a Christian. I know that he's received, he's revealed himself to me. But what if you're watching this and you're not a Christian and you're wondering, has God really revealed himself to you? Well, I want to say first and foremost, yes, he has. But how? Listen, in Psalm 19, 1, the writer writes this. He says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. When he says the heavens, he's not talking about heaven, the dwelling place of God. We know that he is revealed there. That's where he dwells. So the word heavens here has actually three meanings. This particular use of the word heaven means look up into the sky. Look up into the universe. How is it that somebody can say that all of this just came by random chance? How is it that something can just appear out of nowhere? It must be a supernatural thing. So the heavens reveal God. They reveal him to us. And in this revelation, in in this understanding that, listen, that he is there, he made it clear that he's not just there watching. He's personal and he cares. And he doesn't just desire for you to look up at him. He desires a relationship with you. How do we know that? Well, because in Hebrews chapter 1, Verse 1, he writes this, God, who at various times and in various ways, he spoke. God has communicated in time past to the fathers by the prophets. That's the Old Testament of the Bible. But he has in these last days, in the New Testament era, this dispensation, this time of grace, he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom, listen, also he made the worlds. And then he, he gives a description of God and of Jesus, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, 
sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he by inheritance obtained a much more excellent name than they. So the writer in Hebrews tells us that not only has God revealed himself to the people who were living in the Old Testament time, thousands of years ago, He says, in this current time, he has revealed himself, how? Through his son, Jesus. And when he describes Jesus, he says that he is the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. That means that if you were to compare the nature of God the Father and you look at the nature of Jesus Christ the Son, that they are identical, that they are the exact same. This is one of the many reasons how we know that Jesus is God. And that he has willingly communicated himself. In fact, in this passage of Matthew chapter 11, we see that God is communicating as Jesus Christ. How? He's communicating that he knows. He knows what's happening in your life. And the invitation is there for us to come to him. For what purpose? Listen, he says, come. But he says, come to me. Listen, religion is man's attempt to be right with God. And there's many different ways that that man will come to God on their own efforts. But Jesus is looking out at these cities. He's looking at the religious leaders and what they are imposing upon the people. And he sees how weary and tired and overwhelmed they are by these things. And so Jesus says this. He says, come to me. I love that. But understand the language very careful here. When he says, come to me, yes, this is an invitation. It's an invitation to all those who don't know Christ as Savior and Lord. This is an invitation. This was an invitation to the religious leaders. This was an invitation to those who were following the religious leaders and were tired and weary by all these things but it was also a command. This phrase, come to me, while it is also an invitation, it was a command. But a command for who? It's for a Christian. It's for you and me, church. Jesus commands us to come to him. He commands us. Why? He commands us because he sees that that if we begin to drift off and we try to maintain our relationship with God through our own efforts, we're going to get tired and weary. Some of you today are tired and weary. Why? Because these overwhelming circumstances, this time that we're living in, the uncertainty of, of will I be able to find food? Will I be able to keep my job? Will I be able to find toilet paper or whatever it is that you need? You've forgotten whose child you are and you're weary. And so the command from Jesus is come to me. Come to him. Listen, the idea, he says, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden. The idea of labor, it was was you trying to maintain your relationship with God. It was you trying to to keep 
yourself right with God. Paul, Paul gave a, a very stern warning to the Galatian church. He said, who's bewitched you? Who's tricked you? Who's fooled you? Who scammed you into thinking that now that you're saved, you've got to maintain your salvation according to your good works? He says, no. Who's bewitched you? Are you going to be able to maintain it? You can't. So what does that mean? That means that we have to constantly come to Jesus. Constantly come. The idea of labor also is, guys, listen, it's about putting these expectations upon ourselves. We put such unrealistic expectations upon ourselves. Don't we, church? Don't, don't, we, don't we put these unrealistic burdens that God has never put on us? Listen, if you and I could do it, Jesus would have never needed to come. But because we could not do it, he came. I think about that passage there in Malachi where God's rebuking the priests. Now, not only were they, were they just vainly following him, they were just going through religious practices but it was having an impact upon the people. In Malachi 2.7, he says, For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law from his mouth. The priest was there to, to communicate the word of God to the people and to remind the people of God's faithfulness and of his love for them and that he began that work of them. He had made a covenant with them, and they just needed to keep following him. He says, For the messenger of the Lord... For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Verse 8 says, But you have departed from the way. You have caused many to stumble at the law. Guys, <laughs> we can't afford to be stumbled ourselves because if we're not paying attention, we can also stumble someone else around us. Someone who's looking for a way out. Somebody who's tired and weary and they want to know something real. They want, to, they want hope for themselves. And if they see us fretting and worrying, they're going to say, well, wait a minute, you're a Christian. Are you supposed to be worrying and fretting over all these things? Well, if you're worrying and fretting and that's Jesus, well, then I don't need Jesus. I need something greater than Jesus. But there is none greater than Jesus. Right? So it's not on Jesus to be greater. It's on us to keep following Jesus with a childlike faith. Jesus said to those who were stumbling people in Luke eleven forty six, he said, woe to you also lawyers, for you load men with burdens hard to bear and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Acts chapter 15, verse 10. He says, Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Remember when I said that he said that we're to come to him, all you who labor and are heavy laden? That idea of heavy laden, guys, it means this. 
Labor is us putting expectations upon ourselves that we cannot meet. Heavy laden means that we're putting expectations on others that they cannot meet. We can't do that, church. In fact, in Galatians chapter 6, the Lord just put it in my heart right now. He tells us, if any of you, brethren, have been overtaken in any trespass, anybody sinned, anybody fallen short, anybody stumbled, when you see that person sin, when you see that person stumble, when you see that person fall, what does the word command us to do? He said, you who are spiritual, restore such a one with a spirit of gentleness. Consider yourself, lest you also be tempted. He said, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Isn't that true, guys? In this time right now, we're to bear one another's burdens. If Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, if you're putting unrealistic expectations on you and then you're putting them on someone else, You've missed the point. Jesus says, come to me. He's able to deal with whatever it is that's going on. Whatever it is that that troubles you. The Bible says that God will perfect those things which concern you today. What concerns you? Let's be a people that are speaking life, not death. Let's be a people who care, not just with the words of our mouth, but let our actions follow those words. The Bible says, Jesus himself said this. He says, the world will know that you are my disciples by the way that you what, church? By the way that you love one another. And when we do that, what does Jesus says? When we come to him, he says, I will give you rest. And this week, I, I found myself out and about just doing a lot of different things. And I was able to talk to a lot of people. And I tell you what, they were all, they all had one thing in common. They needed rest. They needed rest in their mind. They needed rest in their body. They needed rest <laughs> in their emotions they need to rest in their souls. We're supposed to rest. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Where do we find that rest? It's in Jesus. Listen, if you're trying to find rest in all that you're doing, it's going to get you nowhere and you're going to find yourself frustrated and disappointed. Where does Jesus rest? His rest is eternal. And I'm not talking about for eternity. I'm talking about right now in the midst of eternity. He will give you rest for your soul. In John 19, 30, there's Jesus on the cross. The wrath of the Father has been poured out upon the Son. Jesus became the atoning sacrifice for you and me. He was willing to substitute his own life, which was able to bear the wrath of the Father for you and me. And when that was done, Jesus said these words, it is finished. To tell us die. Paid in full. Somebody gave me a button once. And it's one of those buttons that you push it and there's a recording on it. 
And the button, when I push it, it says, to tell us die. It is finished. And it was a reminder to me that Jesus already finished the work for me. He already finished the work for his church. He already finished the work for all who would come to him. It is finished. And in that finished work, we find rest. Hebrews 4, 9 says this, Therefore there remains. It's not a rest that's temporary. He says there remains a rest for the people of God, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. I love that right there. All who have entered his rest has also ceased from his works. Have you entered his rest today, church? Have you entered into the rest of Jesus? Knowing that it's done. Knowing that, listen, that God is well pleased with you. Why? For by grace we have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We're not working for salvation. We've already received salvation. Whatever we do now in terms of works are from salvation to let the world know that we've been saved by God's grace through faith and trust in Him. He goes on to tell us, take my yoke upon you. You know, the idea of a yoke was that it was a device put on animals, particularly large animals. Oxen were some of those large animals. They were put into a yoke and it was a heavy device that was meant to stir them, that was meant to temper them. It was meant to, to, um, to get them in connection with the will of the person who controlled that yoke. But listen, if that yoke did not fit them, if that yoke that was put on them was made for another animal, it would cause severe irritation and pain and suffering for that animal. And just like that, listen, the yoke that you and I oftentimes put upon ourselves or upon other people was not made for you and me. This yoke wasn't made for us. It would lead to suffering and injury for us. The idea here is that if we would listen to Jesus and follow him, it would bring life instead of death. Listen to this. In Acts chapter 9, we saw something very interesting with Paul, who was then known as Saul. Saul of Tarsus. Acts chapter 9 verse 3 says, And as he, this is Saul, as he came near Damascus, suddenly a light shone around him from heaven, then he fell to the ground and, I, and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And then he said this, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Goads were these little spikes that were on the back of these certain animals. And if they would kick back, meaning that they were being stubborn and they didn't want to do, if they tried to dig in their heels and not do what was asked of them to do, they would have these little uh, uh, spikes stick them in the back of their heels. And he says, listen, for you to go against my nature, for you to, to go against me, you're kicking against the goads. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Jesus has a yoke 
It's light. It's easy to bear. Jesus says, listen, take my life upon you. I've already taken your sin. I've already taken your failures and your shortcomings. I've already taken it for you. He says, come to me, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. 1 John chapter 5, John writes this in verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Jesus says, just don't come to me. Follow me. Don't just believe in him. Believe him. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. You see, the idea of taking this yoke upon us, it would give us peace. When the yoke fit the animal perfectly, that animal did not mind having the yoke upon it. It could just go about its business in peace. And when you and I, listen, when you and I, when we have the yoke of Jesus upon us, we have peace. In Romans 5, listen, he says, Romans 5, 1, Paul says, therefore, having been justified by faith, We've been justified by faith. And for that, he says, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. But we don't just have peace with God, right? In Philippians 4, 6, you guys know this verse. I'm sure many of you have been quoting this verse lately. I see it up all over social media. Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but with what? But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Listen, and the peace of God, not just the peace with God, but the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Listen, to take the yoke upon Jesus means to be a disciple of Jesus a learner of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. And in that, listen, you will be at rest. If you're not at rest right now, if you're overwhelmed by your circumstances, Jesus says, come to me. I'm going to give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. And then he says this, listen, he says, learn from me. You know, the way they worked with the oxen, they would have a larger, older oxen who had been doing the work, the yoke fit him perfectly. And he was doing the work as he had always done. But then they would take a younger, less experienced ox next to him and they would link him up to that. And they would put that yoke upon that young, uh, that young ox. And together as they walked together, the older one would keep the younger one in line. He would keep him um, doing the task that they were meant to do. And when Jesus says, you take that yoke and you learn from me, you will walk as I walked. You will talk as I talked. You will uh, love as I have loved. You will serve as I have served. And guys, listen, that's one of the reasons why we have the purpose of the yoke. It's to learn from Jesus. 
Our whole lives will be spent learning about Jesus. It doesn't matter how old or young you are. It doesn't matter when you started following Jesus, whether that was 50, 60, 70 years ago, or whether um, you just started deciding to follow Jesus right now here in this place. Praise God. You will learn until the day you die. You will learn of Jesus if you stay yoked to him. Are you yoked to him? Are you connected to him? He says, learn from me for I am gentle and lowly of heart. That's what we're learning about Jesus. That he's gentle. That he's lowly of heart. Listen, this means that he's humble and he's meek. It's it's like you have this gigantic dog, like these these big old burly dogs. And then you have these small little chihuahuas. And there they are just yapping at the big dog's feet and the big dog's just looking down at him. And he's like, if I wanted to, I could gobble you up in one bite, but I'm not going to. Because the dog is, he knows who he is. St. Bernard's are gigantic dogs and they're pretty docile until you rile them up. And, and I just, I, I look at Jesus and I know who he is. I know at any moment in time, he could take me home. I know it at any moment he could come again. I, I know that not only has he created all things, but he upholds all things by the word of his power. And I know that if he wanted to, he could do anything. And yet we see him reveal his nature to us that he's gentle and he's lowly of heart. What does that mean? He's approachable. A lot of people have this misconception about God that he's this judge up in the sky who's grumpy all the time, angry at his creation. And yet Jesus came to reveal the nature of God. And what do we see that God is like? He's gentle and he's lowly of heart. You see, it's in moments like what we're in right now, whatever you're going through that's overwhelming you. It just lets us know that Jesus knows our situation. He understands and he cares, guys. He cares. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, he writes this, Therefore, in all things he, Jesus, had to be made like his brethren. He came and lived as a human being. He went through everything that you and I would have to go through. He would be tempted in every way, he says here. Why? That he might be a, might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God, to make propitiation, to make substitution for the sins of the people, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. He says, I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon yourself. Learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly of heart. I want to remind you guys, this is an invitation. 
but it's also a command. I want to remind you that we are here now, church, for such a time as this. We are here to be the light of the world, as Jesus called us. To be a city on the hill that can't be hidden. There are a lot of people who are really looking for truth right now. There are a lot of people who are looking for hope right now. There are a lot of people who are lonely and scared and frightened. And so this message is meant to encourage them to come to Jesus, to lay their burdens down. But sometimes people are so burdened, they can't come. So what do we, church, what do we do? We go to them. Let's go to them. Let's be the church. Let's bear one another's burdens. Let's lead them to Jesus. I want to encourage you this week. Pray for one another. Connect through social media. Connect through texts. Connect through phone calls. And if you absolutely have to, take all the the right precautions. But sometimes you just got to meet somebody face to face. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your, on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge God. Bring God in to your current circumstances and He will direct your path. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Revere God. Call Him into your life. Depart from evil. What's evil? Trying to do it on your own. God loves you. We love you. We love you so very much and we're praying for you. And we know that this is a really weird situation. We know that that this isn't how we would want it to be. But we deal in reality, guys. And this is our current situation. And so we will endure because Christ endures. We will overcome because Christ has overcome Go to Jesus, the author and the finish your faith. Take the word of God and receive it into your life. Trust in the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us.